0: Welcome to MuggleCaster Weekly Ride into the Wizarding World. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. On today's episode, we're discussing Chapter 15 of Order of the Phoenix, the Hogwarts High Inquisitor. But first, we have some more Muggle Mail. And actually, even before Muggle Mail, I just want to update everybody on last week's discussion. We were talking about which Sirius in the fireplace was better, Ember Sirius or Flaming Sirius, <laughs> as I am affectionately calling him this time around. Um, we asked on Instagram, which version do you prefer? And 38% preferred Ember Sirius, while 62% preferred Flaming Sirius. I'm actually surprised the results were that close to being split. Yeah, that's, that's one-third and two-third. That's crazy. I mean, Ember Sirius sucks.
1: <laughs> which one do you think Lupin prefers?
0: Um Why does that matter? I'm thinking... Flaming Sirius. I'm
1: just <laughs> throwing out questions.
2: Lupin has Sirius's whole body because he's next to him in Grimold Place, so he's he's good. Oh, that's true, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But uh but yeah, Ember Sirius to me just strikes me as being, you know, the effects weren't great, probably rushed, like you guys were saying. Um, flaming Sirius to me is the epitome of like, that's what that's what that should look like. That's what they're going for.
0: We got a great theory from Tyler. He wrote in, I really enjoyed this week's episode and the discussion about Sirius in the fireplace. My theory is that for Goblet of Fire, they didn't want to pay Gary Oldman for that small 30 second scene. So they just recorded his voice and recreated his face the best they could without filming him. I hate that they cut the big scene in Goblet of Fire with the three meeting him on a trip to Hogsmeade, but we know this would all be solved with a Harry Potter TV show. Andrew needs to prepare a pitch for WB. Thanks for all you guys do. (laughs) What do you think? Is that true? They didn't want to pay Gary Oldman for Goblet of Fire, so they just recreated him?
3: I mean, wouldn't they have to pay him for his voice and his likeness?
0: Probably. Yeah. Well, but in theory, wouldn't just recording his voice be cheaper than getting him into Leaves in and all that. Yeah,
3: I think it's more likely that Gary Oldman just wasn't available.
0: Oh, yeah, maybe. I don't buy into this theory necessarily, but it is a funny way to think of it. So thank you, Tyler. We also got an email from our social media manager, Jewel, who emailed us just like I asked Pat to do when he had some feedback about what he heard on air. Laura, do you want to read what Jewel had to say?
3: Sure. Uh, Jewel wanted to respond to the point that we mentioned about Hermione doing Harry and Ron's homework for them. Says in book four, we see she is still very insecure about where she stands with them, so it doesn't surprise me at all that she might sometimes feel the value she adds to the friendship is her ability to get them through their classes. When I was her age, I definitely let my classmates walk all over me by helping them with notes or homework or tests. It made me feel valuable and I felt like it enabled my friendships. Of course, as I got older and realized how dumb this was, I found out who my real friends were but at 15, I just wanted to be liked, and that's the way I went about it. So here's a message to young listeners. Hermione is a great role model in many ways, but it takes her a while to learn that she doesn't need to do her best friend's homework for them to like her. They'll be annoyed at first because they're teenage boys, but her true friends will like her anyway. Aww. Yep.
1: That's a really great point, Joel. You know what I'm taking away, though, from these emails, Hmm. is that Andrew, the only listeners we have are your boyfriend and our social media producer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I'm setting up a bad culture at MuggleCast where people we know and love can't approach us with feedback. I, I think I'm regretting telling people we know and love to to write in. I, I'm sorry. You guys can approach us again. Talk to us face to face. I apologize. HR is going to come after me.
3: Hypable has HR?
0: Yeah. Do you have any problems you would like to <laughs> speak to them about? <laughs>
1: We've hired this really delightful woman named Dolores. She's in charge.
3: The hypeable high inquisitor.
0: God. Educational decree number 42. Don't talk to us face to face. Email us if you have any feedback about the show. Well, a couple of our listeners also called in.
2: Hey, MuggleCast. This is Janelle. I have a theory relating to episode 450. When Fred gives Katie the blood blister pot at Quidditch practice, I always thought that he did it on purpose and that his look of horror was fake. In a previous chapter, I believe, it said that Fred and George were having trouble coming up with an antidote or a way to stop the nosebleeds. I think he gave it to Katie on purpose so that way they could go with her to Madame Pomfrey to see what she used to stop the nosebleed. Then they could use that in their blood blister pod. Let me know what you guys think. Love the show.
3: I love that theory. Me too. And Janelle, I also love your audio quality. (laughs) That was such a beautifully recorded voice memo, but also great theory. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That is something
0: that Fred and George would absolutely do.
2: I agree. But I think they could do it without Katie, right? I mean, they could just try it on one of themselves like they say they do and then go to Madame Pomfrey and say, hey, how would you fix this? Mm.
3: Yeah. Don't we think Madame Pomfrey might be kind of wise to that though? Mm. Maybe they're using Katie because they know Madame Pomfrey will attend to her. Whereas if one of them were to go in, I'm sure she's gotten wind of them testing their products on first years. And so <laughs> yeah. while she might she might patch them up, of course, but I don't think that she would let them in on the secret. Of how to do so.
0: Right. Devious. What did you guys do now? And no, I'm not going to help you come up with a solution. It was our brother, ma'am. He hit her with a quaffle. Hmm. (laughs) And here's another voicemail from another Laura.
4: Hey, MuggleCast. I just wanted to send in a quick correction um, about last week's episode. Um, When Harry was in the Owlery, Vilch came in and accused him of mailing dung bombs or stink bombs. And... um. It was actually Umbridge that tipped him off. Uh, Hermione later in the book reveals that she was really suspicious of that because she thought that that was kind of a weird thing for another student to accuse Harry of. And she believes that it was a way for Umbridge to go through Harry's mail um, or student's mail Early on before she could do it as High Inquisitor. So I just wanted to give credit to Hermione for being super smart. Also, last week when you guys were reading Percy's letter, Micah's scary voice was both amazing and terrifying at the same time. Uh, thanks, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Love you. Bye.
1: Love you, too. Bye. I have no idea what she's talking about.
4: <laughs> oh, I, I do, because we were talking
5: about,
3: we were like, why <sighs> why is Filch... Oh, you're talking about your voice. I'm talking
1: about my I'm voice, sorry. yeah. I'm sl- I'm sl- hard I'm slow. by the same <laughs> brush. I am
3: slow on the uptake here. Um, but also, see, this This actually was me sending in a voicemail to correct Mugglecast. You would. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, I don't know why we didn't catch on to that. Like, everything happens for a reason in this series. Yeah. So we should have caught on to that. Our apologies. Saturday morning, Brain.
3: I feel like that's one of those things, like, we're rereading the books And we kind of catch on to things as we go through them, right?
1: True that. True. True. Yeah, but it's next level though for Umbridge, really, this early on to be trailing Harry. We know she's trying to goad him into getting detention, does it again in this chapter. But the fact that she's really taking control of things like going through students' mail, this, this is really government interference at its worst.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm impressed, but not surprised. She did start the year by sending Dementors to a little whinging.
5: Mm.
3: Very fair.
1: One other thing I thought about too with uh, Janelle's voicemail, not to go back, but I thought maybe the direction she was going to take it was that Fred and George gave Katie the blood blister pod so that practice would end because Ron was in just. Such a bad position with the Slytherins being there.
3: Aw, that's true.
2: So there's like a, mm. a mercy killing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you want to look at it that way, yeah, sure. Yeah.
0: Thanks to everybody who sent in feedback. And Laura, I will be putting you in touch with Hypeable HR after today's episode. Great. This week's episode of MuggleCast is sponsored by a product I know Hermione and her parents would love. Quip. Quip. Makers of the Quip electric toothbrush want you to know the one single discovery that matters most for your dental care. It is simply this, that if you have good habits, you are good. You hear this from the dentist all the time, and Quip helps you keep those good habits by keeping things simple, starting with an electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and anti-cavity toothpaste. Quip's electric brush has sensitive sonic vibrations with a built-in timer and 30-second pulses to guide a full and even clean. I love this thing. It's lightweight, quiet, and thinner than other electric toothbrushes. Those others, it's like you're putting a drill into your mouth. It's like, Zah! but with Quip, it's much more pleasant of a brushing experience. It's a quiet hum. It's so peaceful. (laughs) I love it. After years of using one of those heavy duty electric toothbrushes, the Quip Floss Dispenser comes with pre-marked string to help you use just enough. And Quip delivers fresh brush heads, floss and toothpaste refills to your door every three months with free shipping. So your routine is always right. Join over three million healthy mouths And get Quip today starting at $25. This is a fantastic deal for an electric toothbrush. And one more thing, I love how portable it is. I'm currently on a road trip, and this thing is perfect for traveling. We have a special offer for our listeners. If you go to getquip.com slash muggle, right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash muggle, spelled G-E-T quip dot com slash muggle. Quip is the Good Habits Company. All right, it's time now for chapter by chapter, and like I said, we are discussing Chapter Fifteen of Order of the Phoenix, the Hogwarts High Inquisitor, and we'll start with our seven word summary.
1: A bridge. <sighs> Look, this has got to be better than last week. Last yeah, week was last week was. Overseas.
3: The? Hogwarts.
1: Professors. Teaching.
3: Classes. Yay! I mean...
0: I was thinking habits.
3: Yeah, that that works too.
0: Uh, Styles. Yeah. Works. Mm -hmm. Habits, Mm -hmm. styles,
3: methods.
1: Students.
0: Yeah. It's a really interesting chapter.
1: Yeah. Uh, So if we were to grade the seven word summary based on the OWL scores. We learned a lot about OWL scores actually in this chapter. What would we give it?
3: <laughs> Pass. Just yeah. a, a simple P. Yeah, I think yeah. I'd go with poor. Oh, I mean,
2: exceeds <laughs> expectations because it was intelligible and there were a lot of options left to us by the last word.
1: So this week, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach to chapter by chapter. We're not necessarily going to follow things in chronological order. I think that that's something that we've done in the past, and yeah you know we'll we'll make sure we hit on all all the key points, but you know we really want to pull the meat out of the chapters and and have the best possible discussion, so yeah, we'll see how this goes. It's gonna go great well, you planned it so exactly it, it has to yeah, exactly, and what I really like about this chapter is there is so much umbrage, and we are going to make sure that that umbrage suck count goes up quite a bit uh, <laughs> at the end of our discussion. Okay.
0: Is that why you like that there's a lot of umbrage? Yeah. What? Why, what's wrong with that? You just like seeing her do sick things, it sounds like? Um. What are you implying? That you're messed up. Go go on.
3: <laughs> Andrew's like, you're sick, Micah. Yeah.
0: You're sick. I've never heard somebody say, ooh, I like a chapter that's filled with umbrage. Mm-hmm.
3: No, I, I get what Micah's saying. It pushes the story along. Yeah. Got it. it. It's a much needed chapter in terms of pacing. I will say, as a former teacher, this chapter gave me so much PTSD. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because you were evaluated? Oh, yeah. mm
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty standard practice, especially when you're in your early teaching career, to be observed. Mm. And even if the person doing the observing is, you know, doing everything right and not attempting to undermine you, it's... Mm. Still a very nerve wracking experience. And I have also had the experience of somebody who was directly interfering with my classroom environment. So it's not a fun place to be.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It'd be like if J.K. Rowling was listening to this episode of MuggleCast and we knew that she was listening. It would be very stressful
1: because we would want it to be perfect and get everything right. Right. Well, not anymore. We don't care whether she listens or not. I don't really care if she comes on the show. I
2: still care. I would be interested in seeing what owl grade
1: she gives the seven-word segment.
0: (laughs) She would say, just stop doing that segment, please.
3: Troll.
1: (laughs) To answer your question, though, Andrew, it's great to see Umbridge matched up against her peers in this Mm. chapter, and you really start to get the full sense as to why she is at Hogwarts. A lot of it prior to this has just been her interrupting Dumbledore, or her giving Harry detention, and you know, there's just much more to her that we get to see in this chapter, and and so that's what I meant when I said that. Got it. I enjoyed is probably not the best word to use, but yeah. And it starts off really kind of where we left off in the last chapter, and and we finally get to see why Percy was so anxious for Ron to take a look at the Daily Prophet. The following morning. And we learned that the ministry is seeking educational reform and that Dolores Umbridge has been appointed the first ever high inquisitor. Yeah, And Percy is all over this article. I'm not quite sure why, because in my mind, there is no credibility to Percy being quoted <laughs> in an article yeah. and speaking on behalf of the ministry. He's not the pr rep
0: for fudge it is awkward isn't it yeah and don't most people in the wider wizarding world like they might have they might know of the weasleys they're a big family right they're redheads they're the Mm -hmm. redheads in the wizarding world so a lot of people probably know this family and they probably know that a lot of the weasley family members are on team harry i would think well and so it's awkward to read percy going against his
2: family he is the junior assistant to the minister. So he is the mouthpiece. I guess if you consider that there's probably also a senior assistant to the minister and the minister himself and maybe a PR department. So this is the guy who's the highest rung of the ladder that the daily prophet could get in a pinch that shared their views. And the ministry also wants to look busy all the time. Mm -hmm. So this is a guy who's like really super close to the minister Though it might be objectively a couple steps removed, but who can speak, who has the authority to speak in the way that they get him to.
0: Really, it should be Fudge being
1: interviewed for this article, though, I -hmm. think. I want to go off what you said, though, Andrew, because I like the idea of the ministry and the Daily Prophet positioning a Weasley when the Weasley family, as you said, has so long been supportive of Harry. Yeah. Right in mainstream media – Here's a member of this family who is basically speaking out against Harry and against Dumbledore. It's not a great look for the Weasley family.
0: There's a crack oh, in the Weasley family.
1: One's gone rogue. We also get to hear from some anxious parents who have <laughs> voiced their concern <laughs> and about Dumbledore haters. What's going on at Hogwarts and the fact, Andrew, prepare yourself, <clears throat> that Hogwarts is
0: a security nightmare. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, you don't have the uh, sound effect. I'm this on week. the
0: road. I don't have the sound effect ready. Oh. On, I'll no. I'll download it. Hold on, I didn't prepare that. But go on. I'll play it later.
1: <laughs> and uh, of course, they interview some of the best people that you possibly could uh, for this uh, for this article. One, Lucius Malfoy, mm. who we learned is 41 years old. That's a odd piece of information that they dropped in there. But
5: <laughs> yeah, and will
3: appear. Sidebar, all of these parents are so young.
1: Yeah, they have their kids young.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, you know, the war is on and all that.
3: (laughs) So you got to get it on.
2: (laughs) That's directly lifted from another page of another Harry Potter book, for sure. Starting to sound like a security (laughs) nightmare. Security nightmare. There you go, Micah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the interesting thing here, and I know that this, this, uh, this article is vaguely making some kind of attempt to be well-balanced, does not disclose that Mr. Lucius Malfoy, quote, concerned parent, is a member of the Board of Governors for Hogwarts School. Mm -hmm. That is, to me, a conflict of interest if they don't state it.
0: And I'm also wondering how many anxious parents are there really? There's Lucius. There's Seamus's mother. Mm. It's probably an exaggeration by the ministry slash the prophet, right? That there are a bunch of anxious parents out there.
3: Yeah, I think this is a good example of like many people are saying this (laughs) without citing any kind of source or information.
2: Yeah, it's it's an excuse for the ministry to react or respond as and like as if these concerns were more mainstream.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. And they interviewed the chief nemesis of Dumbledore. They didn't have to look very far. They just needed one person, and Lucius was a very easy get. Right. He was probably itching to do this.
1: And let's not forget, he's also a ministry employee. Mm-hmm. So now you've inter- or you've quoted two people that work within the ministry about the situation. And- right.
0: Well, and then to Eric's point, they don't disclose that Lucius is a ministry employee. But then a few paragraphs later, they quote Wizengamut Elder Griselda Marchback's. And they add right after her quote for a full account of her alleged links to subversive
2: goblin groups, turn to page seventeen. Like they're immediately discrediting her. Exactly. She's the one who's got like got some sense. She and Tiberius Ogden, whose name may be familiar to Harry Potter fans, um, both resigned in protest. How cool is that? Like yeah. good for them. That you know. Yeah, but then they
0: discredit her because Oh yeah. They did go against the, or go against the ministry.
2: I think it's March Banks just if we want to note that.
0: Oh, did I type it wrong? Okay,
2: sorry. And what is a subversive goblin group by the way? Yeah, I was wondering that as well.
1: <laughs> so, this is just an opportunity to seem fair and balanced but then immediately discredit the person by mm-hmm. as you said being linked to subversive goblin groups. And I'm interested to get Laura's thoughts here because this is a direct reminder maybe of certain media outlets in the United States that claim to be fair and balanced, but truthfully are not. And the way that they go about it in, in in this manner, on the surface, it seems like they are showing both sides of the story, but in truth they're not, because they're immediately trying to undermine that person a few sentences later.
3: Yeah, of course. It's it's the like you said, it's the attempt to appear As though you're being journalistic and, and, you know, you're maintaining a level of integrity in your reporting. But by immediately referring to, you know, goblin groups as subversive, I wonder what those groups are. They're probably groups about like goblins' rights or Mm -hmm. goblins being able to be treated like equal beings in the magical world. Yeah. Um, But in this world where, goblins and house elves are treated as lesser beings, that could be considered a subversive thought, especially looking at this particular group of people who are running things right now. Yeah. So yeah, definitely very, very reflective of certain news outlets that exist now.
2: Something else that caught my eye during that was that she is also an elder. This is the news kind of quickly scuttling away from her official title. In order to be an elder at the Wizengamo, you need to know your stuff, right? This is a very respectable position. It's like saying long-time generals or long-time uh, people in positions of authority for decades are lesser because of whatever other thing else they want to cook up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: But, but then they immediately turn around and tie her to these groups that are Supposedly trying to undermine the authority of the ministry. And let's not forget that goblins are a group that has long been suppressed in many ways. And not unlike house elves, you know, they're, they've essentially been forced to work in the, uh, the banking industry and been treated very, very poorly. So, um, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody like, uh, Griselda Marchbanks was supportive of a group like the goblins and them advocating probably for for their own rights. Another interesting part of this
0: scene is we're introduced to educational decrees, and they begin at number 22. Now, I looked around online. I couldn't find the previous 21 educational decrees, and I'm wondering what they were.
2: Does anyone remember anything about those did we ever hear anything? Here's the thing. these this, So the educational decrees, in this book, they become kind of a thing, right? It's There's chapters named after them, and it's a big, what's the next one? Umbridge will pass in her clear and rampant abuse of power. The first 21 educational decrees, it used to be a method by which the government, the Ministry of Magic, could help Hogwarts. Like, I assume one of those educational degrees was... Establishing the Board of Governors, Mm -hmm. something very innocent, something very just like necessary for the running of school, figuring out a budget, appropriating house elves. Right. Um, You know, a couple of – over the last thousand years that Hogwarts has existed or over the last several hundred years that the ministry has existed, Mm -hmm. they weren't the same educational decrees of the like that you see in this book. Right. Right. They were just – probably bland very innocent but necessary steps that like the government just has to pass a resolution to be able to do this but this is what we're seeing is the perversion of that in this book yeah
0: yeah they could have added some other decrees though after what happened in harry's earlier years like no three-headed dogs shall be allowed on premises (laughs) no student shall be issued a time turner or love potions shall not be used why is that andrew because it's rape. Love potions.
3: <laughs> I think Eric was hoping for some sound effects. A sound oh.
2: clip. I was hoping for it, but okay, your answer was better, yeah. Sorry I
0: took that to a dark place. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Andrew, we don't know, though. Perhaps those educational decrees were put into place, and we yeah. just don't know what they were. So it's possible that some were created after Harry's first or second or third year. Yeah, that'd be a great Pottermore article from J.K.
0: Rowling. Yeah. Spelling out all the previous ones.
2: Hey, wait! Now that we own Potter no more,
0: we should write it. Oh my god! Let's just that write be... all the articles we wish existed on Pottermore.
3: Hilarious! Yeah, like <laughs> students aren't allowed to attend Death Day parties. Yeah. um
1: <laughs>
0: Why Hogwarts is a security nightmare
1: <laughs> by Andrew. Paint no more Triwizard tournaments.
2: Don't listen to the plumbing. Don't listen closely <laughs> to the to the to the plumbing. Why there should
1: be a Harry Potter TV show.
3: <laughs> this sounds like a great opportunity.
1: It does. Does it still do- redirect to a Harry Potter fan zone? It does.
0: Can we just have Andy publish these articles on his website? Yeah. I don't feel like setting up a whole new website. So, yeah. anyway. It's a good point. Also, we'll point out just a little thing. 21 previous decrees. 21 is a multiple of seven.
1: Mm. Oh. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. See what you did there.
0: 21 is 12 backwards. Another big number in the Harry (laughs) Potter series.
1: All right.
2: (laughs) J.K. Rowling thought of these things. I know it. You know the coolest thing? Real quick, this is a sidebar. Um, How you can tell if a number is divisible by three. How? If you add up the numbers individually as if they were single digit numbers and that's divisible by three, the whole number is divisible by three.
1: Oh, interesting. That's real cool. That was (laughs) Eric's educational moment brought to you by...
3: That was educational decree number 50 or whatever.
1: Nice. I have a new segment. Is that divisible by three? It's got to be divisible (laughs) by three. (laughs) The focal point of this chapter really, though, is Umbridge's visits to each of the teachers' classrooms. And this has to put the school on edge. Mm -hmm. Teachers are essentially on the chopping block and Laura, you mentioned this earlier. You know, it gives you PTSD thinking back to the times when you were teaching and there was somebody who was coming in to evaluate your abilities. But one thing I was wondering is is there not already a system in place at Hogwarts to evaluate teachers or and and is Umbridge even qualified to evaluate some of these subjects? She's a terrible defense against the dark arts teacher. So what makes us think that she can evaluate charms or potions or transfiguration?
3: Yeah, I mean, she's absolutely not qualified to be doing this. But I think it's a fair point to observe that it doesn't seem like there's any kind of um, standardized program in place in order to ensure a certain like minimum level of quality in these classes. I mean, I'm sorry, but look at Professor Binns. He puts his students to sleep. He's using such, you know, an an archaic teaching method, which is just lecturing straight at the class for an hour or two hours and not initiating any kind of dialogue with the students. So I think it's fair to say that Hogwarts could do with a little bit of observation, but not this. This is not anything that is, helping the education of the students. This is all about the ministry um, retaining a level of power above the educational institution, which if we're talking about real world scenarios, this has happened. I mean, when you have sort of a tyrannical government in charge, one of the first targets is always educational institutions, because those are where so-called subversive ideas are born.
1: Great points. And you can see that a lot of these teachers are, you know, the emotions and the reactions really run the gamut in terms of how they respond to Umbridge being in the classroom. But somebody like Trelawney, who we all know is a bit of a kook, <laughs> a kook, she she is being put into a really. Challenging position because yeah. if we think about her discipline and what it is that she's trying to teach these students, the expectation level of somebody like Umbridge is so high in terms of what a professor like Trelawney can deliver, and I don't personally think that it's fair that she's being asked to make a prophecy in that moment. It it really kind of undermines her profession and her abilities as a seer yeah and as
0: trelawney brings up the inner eye does not see upon command and even though we think she's a kook we know that she's right she just can't pull these predictions out of a hat i also i do feel really bad for trelawney in this moment because you can tell she's nervous as soon as umbridge walks in Mm. and jk rowling writes that she quote made a brave attempt to speak in her mystic tones Quote. Though her voice shook slightly, so she was visibly nervous, and I'm wondering if part of it is because she does know that she's a fraud.
2: Yeah, but th- th- and 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 Umbridge does peg her as a fraud quite early on, and that's why she asks her to predict something on on the spot. But here's the thing: even if Trelawney were a a, a real seer, none of these students are, and so the class there's like a little bit of a disconnect here between divination between being able to be a seer and have prophecies and all that stuff, and then teaching divination. She could have had just a straight-up class where she's instructing all the students to read their tea leaves and, and actually gleaming something out of – like, right now they're going through dream diaries. And apparently that's something that happens after Umbridge leaves, where they they go through Harry's dream. But because Trelawney's default is to predict danger, and she does it to Harry later in the chapter again, after Umbridge leaves, she's all about the doom that it spells and this. Because that's her default, she's clearly not a good teacher. But she could get by without having to make a real prediction. Her job as teacher of divination is not to make real predictions, which is where Umbridge fails. Umbridge just wants to discredit her. The job should be teaching kids how to use these skills to – give themselves a leg up in in the art of their own fortunes.
3: You know, what this makes me wonder, I wonder if divination was a class at Hogwarts before Trelawney was assigned to the post. Because we know that Trelawney was only given this job so that Dumbledore could keep her close and safe. Mm. So I wonder if this was even like really considered a discipline at Hogwarts because it is something that is just it's so individual, so few people are born with the ability to see that it seems a little bit futile to try and teach people how to do something that's just an innate ability. Yeah. Right? So I wonder if this is just an excuse. This is like Dumbledore's cover for why she's there. And maybe it was never something that was taught before.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting. But you can take your divination owl, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. That would lead me to believe that it's been around for some period of time.
2: It's definitely a discipline, but I don't know, like to Laura's point, I don't know if Hogwarts taught it before Trelawney, like, because we also see Ferens. oh, it's Ferenz in this this book, right? Also teaching it later this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's also as much for Forenz's safety because he's not safe among his herd, among his own people. Um, because he's kind of an outsider that Dumbledore allows him refuge in the school to teach this class. So that's sort of twice that Dumbledore could have used the guise of divination as a subject that's being taught at Hogwarts to really safeguard two people that are on his side or, or valuable to him. Yeah. I-
0: I'm looking this up right now and Trelawney and friends are the only known divination teachers and the harry potter wiki also says that dumbledore had originally decided that this course should no longer be taught at hogwarts it being considered obscure in, and inaccurate to most however seeing the applicant for the teaching post was the famous great great granddaughter of a celebrated seer dumbledore decided to give her a chance when she made a prophecy that impressed dumbledore she was granted the position mm. so there you go Laura. <laughs> it's um it's
3: very Laura. interesting
1: The voice of reason.
3: Oh, thank you. Laura could
1: see
0: something we couldn't. Maybe (laughs) you're a seer. Oh, my
3: God. Maybe. But yeah. I think also something I wanted to bring up here, and this is a very exaggerated comparison, right? Because you have these like two polar opposite characters who are very much um, caricatures of, of two different ends of the spectrum. But it does remind me of some of the scrutiny that qualitative and humanitarian disciplines receive from more data-driven disciplines. Um, I've definitely encountered uh, folks in the field of education who don't have a ton of appreciation for the humanities and don't really see their usefulness. And this interaction between Umbridge and Trelawney really reminds me of that, that because Umbridge Doesn't understand. She just doesn't respect it as a discipline. So even if Trelawney was a good teacher, I think that she was already at a massive disadvantage the moment Umbridge walked in the room. Mm
0: -hmm. Does Hogwarts ever have guest speakers? Like they just come in for a day and talk about what they do. Maybe that would have been a great role for Trelawney. Like she comes in once a year, she gives a presentation, and then she's out.
1: Right. I like what Laura said though, because I think that the lack of understanding and maybe even the lack of care that Umbridge has towards something like divination, you almost think that she comes into that class knowing exactly what it is that she's going to try and do to push Trelawney's buttons. Yeah, And I'm also curious too, if all of these classes receive the same types of evaluations, because how you would evaluate a divination class versus a potions class has to be vastly different. And that goes to what I was saying earlier about qualifications for Umbridge to be evaluating uh, these professors. But just one other thing on these two, and I think Laura said how they're at such different ends of the spectrum. It's really kind of ironic that Umbridge asks Trelawney to make a uh, prophecy or a prediction, which is you know sort of that practical application where in her own class, Umbridge is so – by the book and not willing to allow her students to um, do more practical types of things. So I just thought it was a little bit comical that she's evaluating teachers on that when she herself is not engaging in that kind of teaching. That's impressive.
5: Yeah.
3: Yep. It'd be funny if somebody walked into Umbridge's class and was like, can you show me how to produce uh, a full Patronus right here in front of everybody? Or can you show me how to defend yourself against one of the unforgivable curses right here in front of me. Yeah. Like, surely she'd be like, uh, like, felt, feel very put on the spot, you know? Yeah.
0: In Bonus MuggleCast today, we will talk about the specific prediction that Trelawney makes for Umbridge, and if Umbridge thought back to that prediction once uh, she does meet her <laughs> multiple demises in the remainder of the Harry Potter series. So let's move on to McGonagall's class.
1: Which I think probably as readers, we were all anticipating. It seemed like Harry was anticipating this moment as well. (laughs) And uh, McGonagall is not taking anything from anybody in this this chapter. And she could care less, quite honestly, that Umbridge is in her classroom. She even ignores her. Yeah, straight up ignores her. (laughs) Yeah. I think at one point tells her... Doesn't Umbridge ask whether or not she noticed or or received note (laughs) of of the appointment?
0: And McGonagall says, of course I did, because I didn't react to you walking into my classroom. Harry feels that McGonagall lost her temper in front of Umbridge. He brings that up later in the chapter. But I don't think McGonagall did.
3: No, I don't think so either. McGonagall actually, she was doing exactly what a teacher should do during classroom observation, which is ignore the observer. And just act like it's business as usual. Mm -hmm. And Umbridge was interfering with that. So she smacked her down, but I don't think that she lost her temper. Yeah, she was
0: witty. She was sharp, but she wasn't angry. She handled it the best that she could, I think, especially considering that Umbridge was interrupting her.
1: Do you think that Umbridge respects McGonagall in any way, kind of peer-to-peer? If she were to respect anybody, I feel like McGonagall might be that professor.
5: Hmm.
3: I think she's intimidated by her. Yeah. I don't know about respect.
1: She's someone who's
0: been at Hogwarts for a while. She's very well respected amongst the teachers and Dumbledore. And Umbridge is probably impressed by the fact that she, Umbridge, can push McGonagall's buttons and McGonagall won't react in the way that she's expecting. So yeah, I think I think there's respect for her.
1: And we know from Umbridge's backstory that she's always failed prior to the ministry to rise in positions of power and it's referenced at Hogwarts that she failed to do this as well when she was a student. So I wonder if seeing McGonagall basically be second in command to Dumbledore if there is some sort of level of respect there. Right. But I agree on on the intimidation point. I do think that she fears McGonagall a bit as well.
0: In the scene, Umbridge also asks how many years McGonagall has taught at Hogwarts, which is also this week's quizage question. And McGonagall says 39 years. Yet in Crimes of Grindelwald, we see her at Hogwarts. So there are some theories about how this could be. Maybe she was a teacher assistant back then. Maybe she was teaching back then left Hogwarts, then came back. There's also been theories that McGonagall has been using a time turner and somebody actually caught in with this theory. We were getting it a lot when Crimes of Grindelwald first came out. In my opinion, there's no way that McGonagall is jumping around the timeline (laughs) to teach. That just does not make sense to me. Why would she do that?
3: Yeah. Well, and also using a time turner doesn't impact your age, does it?
0: Right. Exactly. She's, She's younger. She's actually younger. Yeah. So that doesn't make sense. But what what are everyone's theories here as to why she was at Hogwarts and Crimes of Grindelwald?
2: It's a retcon. It's clearly just yep. <laughs> fan service. <laughs> Whoever wrote that script didn't care enough about previously established Can you explain what a retcon is. Um I forget what it stands for. It's it's something uh it's a contradiction to canon that has been retroactively there we go There it is retroactively adjusted or fixed in like usually when it's given an explanation but this time we don't have one it's just one of those things so it's a it it would be it's a retcon that she was at hogwarts that early in the timeline when previously she stated 39 years this december which means 38 so in 1995 she had been there for 38 years so, 1957, she came to Hogwarts, if I'm doing that right. Um, that's a full 30 years after Crimes of Grindelwald is set, was supposed to be.
3: Yeah. And also, don't we know her actual birthday? And according to that, she would have been a child. Mm. In fairness, during yeah. the second Fantastic Beast. I movie? think
0: people did the math to figure out her birthday through various pieces of information. In fairness to J.K. Rowling, maybe she will give us more information in the next movie.
1: Yeah. I don't think it's coming, so don't expect
0: it. it I think she has to. I think she has a responsibility. I don't think...
1: She may play an active role. She may not. It could have just been one of those nice moments for Potter fans during that scene at Hogwarts to have another familiar face. And personally, I just don't see her playing much more of a role in future films. I think it was just a nice to have. And I think, especially given the reaction, you're not going to see her moving forward.
0: Casual fans don't care about the math, though.
5: Yeah.
1: You she
2: know. was tremendously well cast. Even the, even the very few moments, I think, in Crimes of Grindelwald that we see her, I think she's excellent. And another reason for having her in Crimes of Grindelwald is to show that even in the 20s, when there's supposed to be another headmaster, whether it's Dippet it or somebody before Dippet, it, it's not supposed to be Dumbledore running the show. But having McGonagall there also shows that it's still Dumbledore's show. Like Dumbledore and McGonagall, the two-person act are in charge of everything that goes on at Hogwarts, and it's just a, a shorthand way of showing how in control Dumbledore is by having McGonagall be his like deputy assistant, even in the twenties.
0: I actually bet that we will see her again, because remember that report a few months ago that said that there's going to be more Dumbledore in the next movie to please the fans. Mm. McGonagall could be a part of that, of those Dumbledore scenes that would please the fans. So the casual ones, it may bother us, but most people I think will be pleased. Anyway.
1: So now you're saying I need to retract my statement about her not being in the next <laughs> Yes, I, I or think- not playing a significant- Well, we don't know for sure, but that's my guess. It's a good point. But if she is there, I, I think we're just going to need to be completely dismissive of the age factor. Yes. We're just going to, as fans, need to accept the fact that they decided- Let it go. Yeah, perfect. Frozen. Right. People need to get into that frozen mindset yep. and just recognize that- She's being put in the films because she's another familiar face for Harry Potter fans.
0: As Elsa says, McGonagall's age never bothered me anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I did look up the headmaster around that time should, in fact, be Armando Dippet. There you go. Uh, prior to him, it was Phineas Nigellus Black. Do we want to talk about other, the other professors briefly?
2: Yeah, it's worth the mention that she stopped in on Grubbly Planks, And
0: Grubbly Plank had nothing but good things to say about Dumbledore, which Umbridge did not like. Otherwise,
2: another really good class by Grubbly Plank. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And she also – so Fred and George in the morning say that she also sat in on Flitwick's, uh, or at lunch they say this. And according to we, – we mentioned how Umbridge is being disruptive – um, during McGonagall's, and that's not what she should do. She also apparently just kind of stayed in the back of the room during Flitwick's class. I'm so glad she didn't walk right up to him and ask him about like his blood status or right his heritage or something crazy racist, like the movie where she measures him. Ha! That's right in the movie. That's oh my gosh, I forgot funny. about that. But she does apparently ask one of the students, Angelina, who happens to be in the back, um, whether or not his class is good and. Angelina is nothing but smiles why
0: would you measure flitwick I mean that's like what does that have to do with anything racist it's it's (laughs) just it's just meant to be completely intolerant Mm -hmm. I think in the movie it's supposed to just be funny but if you really think about it it's pretty awful it is awful size doesn't matter umbridge
1: that's why I really encourage people to go on to the wizarding world site and read the backstory on Dolores Umbridge because she is a pure blood maniac and she has zero tolerance for anybody that does not fit that mold and it can't be overstated and that just goes to show you why she acts the way that she does in this chapter but also as we were talking about and I, and I think it's why somebody like uh, David Yates chose to include that scene with Flitwick even though. It's not in the book. It it's a representation of of how strong her feelings are about people that don't conform to what who, like the way that she thinks people should be. And um it it's it's a very short read, but it's worth it's worth checking out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean Flitwick, according to Friend George, always gets people through their examinations. This is what uh after all, this is what Hogwarts is all about, right? Exams. Yep. And so Flitwick, in in regards to the question whether or not Umbridge respects anyone, truly, I think she should respect Flitwick for at least being competent. Same with Grubbly Plank, but because Flitwick is not fully human, and because Grubbly Plank is a Dumbledore fan, Umbridge will not give those teachers the full marks that they
1: deserve. But don't don't you think she knows going into this? She may be able to knock Flitwick here or. You know, knock McGonagall there, but she knows the professors she most likely can take down. Yeah, and that—that's her goal in this. Is she wants to remove a few of the professors that Dumbledore maybe even put into position himself. Like, I, I mean do we assume and she
0: probably knew which teachers she wanted to take out before even sitting in on their classes. Mm. Right. We do get a scene in Umbridge's classroom. This happened before she sits in on McGonagall's class and she assigns the class a chapter to read. Hermione can't help, of course, but state that she's read the whole book already. Umbridge asks her a question about the reading that Hermione correctly answers, but she also can't help but state that she does not agree with the author. So this causes a kerfuffle. Umbridge takes five points from Gryffindor for Hermione stating her opinion, and then of course this annoys Harry, and then Harry gets himself in detention again when he speaks out. I'm wondering why Hermione decided to say that, oh, I've already read the whole book and I disagree with the author. Like, doesn't she know that these thoughts would annoy Umbridge?
3: Well, yeah, she's resisting.
1: Yeah. Th- and this is a big miscalculation on the part of Hermione. Even though she is resisting, and I think it sets up well what happens at the very end of the the chapter and her trying to convince Harry to teach Defense Against the Dark Arts. But the the wheels that get set in motion as a result of this as it relates to Umbridge is not fair to Harry on the part of Hermione. Like, mm-hmm. I think Hermione needs to be a little bit more aware of this moment and know that Harry is always going to look to come to her defense – If she tries to challenge somebody like Umbridge. And I don't think she was really proving anything by saying that she had finished reading the book. She, you know, she's not going to get on Umbridge's good side, let's say, uh, in this type of a moment. And so I was actually kind of disappointed uh, in in Hermione uh, in this particular chapter for for doing this. And it ends up hurting Harry uh, at the end of the day. That said, Umbridge is also looking for any opportunity to get Harry into trouble, and if we look at the example in this chapter, she again finds a way to bring up Voldemort without directly bringing up Voldemort because she brings up Quirrell, and that immediately sets Harry off. And Harry mentions the fact that Voldemort was attached to the back of his head, and we know any time that Harry brings up Voldemort, it's going to get him detention. So. <laughs> You know I think Umbridge is being very, very strategic in what she's saying to the class because she's looking for that opportunity and I think that's what like Angelina is trying to tell Harry that's what Hermione is trying to tell Harry that's what McGonagall is trying to tell Harry like you have to understand this woman is out to get you. just kind of keep it cool, but he can't do it
2: I think to hermione's credit, I think Hermione's question starts out fair enough, innocent enough she has read. chapter. So what should she do with this class time? The class is so useless. What can she do? It's a mark that, you know, against Umbridge that Umbridge doesn't have like an alternate assignment instead. Well, I mean, I guess to be fair, nobody expects Hermione to have read the next chapter and the next chapter and the next, you know, in, in advance of the class. Um, she quizzes Hermione and of course gets into the scuffle about what Hermione feels, but shouldn't there should be something else to do like this is just it's revealed for what it is busy work right i mean hermione Mm -hmm. it is a form of resistance because i think hermione did expect there to not really be anything for her to do but hermione i guess could have just not asked and could have pretended to read the chapter again
3: yeah well and i think also she's attempting to make some use of her time in the classroom. Mm. Because she's like, well, if all Umbridge wants to do is make us read theory, perhaps I can engage in a conversation about the theory and a healthy debate about the theory. But Umbridge won't even do that. right? And I think, I mean, this is Hermione's breaking moment, obviously, um, as we see later in the chapter.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's also interesting that In a chapter where Umbridge is evaluating the other professors at Hogwarts, she, in this moment, in this kind of back and forth with Hermione and and Harry, is essentially evaluating the other Defense Against the Dark Arts professors as well. You know, She kind of goes through the the list and talks about how unqualified they were with the exception of Quirrell, who seemed to be okay. Uh, But again, that's the moment where Harry jumps in and responds because he can't help himself. Yeah. And uh, gets him detention. Yeah. And McGonagall gets the news of the fact that Harry has gotten another fresh round of detentions. <laughs> and uh, she's pissed now, too. She's like, five points from Gryffindor for you not keeping your cool. I gave you some biscuits last time this happened, but no cookies this time <laughs> around. And. <laughs> No cookie for you. It's a teaching moment, though. I think this is important because, and, and of course, Hermione is is in agreement, but it's a teaching moment for Harry. It's it's showing him that, you know, despite everything that's going on, he needs to keep a level head and he needs to understand what is going on beneath the surface. And the more that he gives to Umbridge, the more detentions he's gonna get. Uh, that said, I think what's happening in these detentions, and it's brought up in this chapter. It needs to be brought to somebody in an authority position because yeah. he's being abused. And
0: another thing we'll talk about in bonus MuggleCast today is how McGonagall would have responded to Umbridge's detention style because Harry says that she'd go nuts. But would she? We'll talk about that over on Patreon. Hmm. I do have to give Harry credit, though, for still being willing to speak up in class, knowing that he's going to get himself into detention, knowing that he's going to have to cut himself again. I mean,
2: that takes some guts. I think if she wrote, if J.K. Rowling wrote some of the other scenes where he's still doing the same thing, where he's still doing lines and kids, like they're very, a whole week's worth of detentions goes by and J.K. Rowling's like, yeah, now his hand was just bleeding more. It's cool. Um, But if she had actually shown those scenes, I think we would have sided against Harry. I think it would have been a little bit clearer that Harry is going overboard. In his defense, here's the other thing. He gets in trouble for talking about Quirrell having Voldemort in the back of his head. We don't know how much of that is public knowledge. We don't even know how much of that umbrage herself can be reasonably expected to suspect. Um, we don't know what Dumbledore's report to the Ministry was like on what exactly the goings-ons were surrounding the Sorcerer's Stone. It seems kind of like an inside job that Dumbledore is protecting the Sorcerer's Stone for his buddy, Nicholas Flamel, Like, we just don't know what the cause of death was ascribed to Quirrell. And so for all Umbridge knows, to play a little bit of devil's advocate, Harry could be spouting complete and utter nonsense about the Dark Lord. Yeah, that's a good point.
3: Very true. And she's already conditioned to believe that about him anyway. So this round of
2: detentions eh, might be on Harry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're definitely on Harry. Doesn't he also get a, another one thrown his way for responding to Malfoy talking about what happened to him with Buckbeak?
2: Yes. Yes! Like, I, I refuse to award an Umbridge suck count to Umbridge for that particular thing, because it's it's Harry again. He's just so indignant. His Hufflepuff comes out, really. <laughs> he needs to defend his friend Hagrid. And so he's like, well, only because you're too stupid to like listen to what the teacher says. It just doesn't it just reaffirms everything Umbridge thinks about him. Harry
0: wasn't wrong, but he shouldn't have spoken out of turn. Harry needs a Twitter account where he can go and be passive aggressive about everything. <laughs> like when I'm angry, sometimes I just go onto one of my private Twitter accounts and I bitch. That's what he needed. Can
3: we make one for him?
0: Oh yeah, that'd be great. Like
3: Harry's private Twitter yeah. account?
0: <laughs> okay, so we're going to We're going to build out Potter no more. We're going to create Harry create a Twitter account for Harry. We've got a lot of stuff to do this
1: week.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: and speaking of uh twitter i know mean, we mentioned jk Rowling earlier but it appears that she updated the header what with some with some her, her uh what do they call it twitter it's not it, the profile the picture oh she the, has a new
0: profile pic too The cover art. jk Rowling, stop using photo booth everybody stopped using that so long ago <laughs> <laughs> use a snapchat filter <laughs> no there yes you're right
1: you think she's got snapchat
0: uh Maybe, I don't
1: know. Yeah. one other big kind of thing to take away from this chapter was the conversation at the end between Harry Ron and Hermione. It is the precursor to the formation of Dumbledore's army, and it's it's really a great moment of Hermione trying to instill confidence. I thought in Harry, given everything that has been happening to him throughout the course of of this book. Uh, one connection I did want to make though uh, to Fantastic Beasts is that he is kind of solving his hand in Essence of Murtlap. And it is the Murtlap, right, that attacks Jacob mm. in the first Fantastic mm-hmm. Beasts
0: movie. Yeah, see, JK Rowling loves writing this stuff.
1: What exactly is Essence of Murtlap? Like, what do they do to that poor creature to. To get the essence out of it. Like, do they squeeze well, it? You slit its throat.
0: No. You, you take a needle, it. you extract some of his inner goo. He's got tentacles, these Murt Laps. So maybe you just pluck a tentacle off of his back.
1: Like, you squeeze the tentacle like you would maybe with a squid? Yeah.
0: Like, you milk it like a cow.
1: The ink comes out. You milk it like Murtlap milk.
2: <laughs> oh my <God>. Murt milk. <laughs> But um, it is really kind of Hermione, and it doesn't. I don't think he thanks her for making it, but she prepared that for Harry. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah,
1: it's it's very. That uh, I feel like the two really bond at the end of this chapter in a way that we maybe haven't seen in in this series so far. I mean, Ron is present; he's there you know, he's kind of a cheerleader in the background. I don't want to diminish his role, but it's it's really Hermione coming across here as a friend, as you said, making this essence of Murtlap for him, and then convincing him that he needs to step up and, and help teach yeah. those who want to learn defense against the dark arts.
0: Yeah, it's the old one-two. Hermione lends a helping hand, and then once he's appreciative of her, she drops The big idea on him
1: so you think she goaded him in
0: kind in a way yeah Harry kind of owes it to Hermione actually for all the help that she's given him with homework this is the least he can do (laughs) after all all this all this assistance but this scene is also very interesting because Harry experiences a lot of self-doubt and imposter syndrome so Hermione's listening off the reasons why Harry would be the best for the job teaching others, Defense Against the Dark Arts. And Harry just goes, oh, well, I'm not really good at anything. That was luck. If Fox hadn't turned up, that was a fluke. I nearly always had help. He just can't believe that he is actually talented. What does everyone here think? Is Harry
3: talented? Did he get lucky?
2: Is it a mix of both?
3: I think it's a mix of both.
2: Don't tell Harry that. (laughs) Harry's definitely got the intuition things seem to work out in his favor. He's a perpetual source of Felix Felicis before he even knows what that is. Right. But I think that even, even in reading the last couple chapters, Harry's like, man, now I have to resolve to do better, you know, studying after Snape gives his, his essay back with the OWL level grading scheme. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Harry knows that he's, Not a good student. I don't think he'd be that surprised if you accused him of being a a not good student. Mm. He almost
0: might think that, like, he almost wasn't a wizard. He was with the Dursleys for so long. Maybe he never would have been found and he would have been suppressing this magic forever. But what's also interesting is that in a moment of rage, Harry says he always did what he did because his back was against the wall as he looked death in the eye. But then he unintentionally admits he has real skills. When he says he had to use his own brain or guts or whatever, that's a quote. So maybe he comes to realize in this moment that he actually is talented because when his back is against the wall, he kicks into high gear and takes down the enemy. Yeah, There's something to be said for that.
1: Yeah. I I think, I don't want to call it untapped potential, but I think there's something deep within Harry that knows what to do in these types of moments, whether it's touching Quirrell's face or it's showing that loyalty that is going to like a Harry needs to remember sense. Fox, yeah, it's almost like a sixth sense. Fox wouldn't have shown up if Harry wasn't loyal to Dumbledore mm. in some capacity. So and even with the Dementors, he didn't think that he had the ability, right? He thought it was his father. No way could he possibly produce the that kind of level of Patronus, but yet it's all kind of within him so that's why i think of it as as untapped potential and, and hermione is trying to like draw it out of him and say look you you are good and and you do have these abilities we need to learn from you we need to understand how to go about doing these things i i, I do think there is a bit of luck involved in some of this i think you know, there's always luck involved to to some capacity but harry's also talented he just doesn't realize that he is
0: and one factor here is that Harry is only fifteen, so right. he has reason to be in denial. He's so young,
1: yeah, insecure we're We're all insecure about definitely different things at different points of our life, so definitely. there's no reason to to assume that Harry isn't going to be yeah. and one thing that I remember is this conversation, the parts about how he had help, takes place in the hogshead in the movie with a, a bunch of different members of those who want to be in Dumbledore's army surrounding him. It was, it was interesting to see it be more of a kind of one-on-one conversation between him and Hermione with Ron kind of sprinkled in.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that there is – J.K. Rowling is paying tribute to the trio's inner relationship because at this point up in, in the book, he's been really mean to them and he still is. He, he breaks the bowl with the Murtlap essence in, and immediately regrets it because he's so angry. But it needed to be Hermione who took it upon herself to to sell Harry on this whole idea of being a teacher because that sort of reconciles a lot of what's been going on with the trio up to this point in this book.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then what do we make of Hermione using Voldemort's name for the first time? Do you think – it seems like that calmed Harry. Why does that calm him? I'm wondering if it's because Hermione finally made this direct acknowledgement of the threat. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And also, I mean, she is the smartest witch of her age. So I think that it makes a real difference for Harry to hear her finally have the courage to say it.
0: Yeah. He knew that it was difficult for her to say that. But she did because she really wanted to convince Harry in the in this moment that he needs to
1: teach this class.
2: It was moving. It was very moving.
1: Yeah. I like the way you refer to it as a calming effect on Harry. I, I think it was just important for him to, to hear see it. See that somebody else yeah. that's his age, yeah. That that you know, for so long every even the adults, right? right? It it's Yeah. They they shudder. They you know, they say don't say his name, yeah. but
0: it's similar to when we have something boiling inside of us but we don't want to talk about it with somebody else maybe we have an issue with someone but we're afraid to bring it up and then you talk about it and it feels so good to get it out there i feel like that's what's happening here
1: but it's it, it exactly and it's also legitimizing what harry has experienced because yes. she's giving validation to his name and and saying that he is real we're not going to talk about him like he's some figment of people's imaginations and refer to him as you-know-who. I'm going to put a name on this. And, and I think that means a lot to Harry. Yeah, And uh, that's why I, I know I keep going back to the fact that him and Hermione just have this connection, I think, at the end of this chapter. And I don't want to be dismissive of Ron, but I, but I think it's really important for their relationship.
0: It, it is a beautiful moment. They should dance in a tent sometime. I think that's what's next
3: <laughs> for this relationship. mm
2: mm-hmm. Harry just needs to be seen, shown that change is possible. Like he needs to believe that in himself, that he himself can affect change. Mm-hmm. And I think Hermione finally saying the name is a way of showing him that the future isn't set. That that you know, I think he's genuinely sh- sh- uh, shocked and stunned a little bit by Hermione mm-hmm. Right. But it, it gives him, it it works to give him a little bit of hope that oh, like I can. Show people that the threat is real and it it, it works to, you know, all of what I'm trying to do here. Right. And it really convinces him more than anything else. I
0: like what you said about the future isn't set yet. Harry can take this moment into his hands and change the future.
1: And Sneaky Hermione, she is hurting Umbridge in the best possible way. And Mm -hmm. that's effectively replacing her with Harry. Yeah. And... Making him the defense against the dark arts professor.
0: Right. And Harry gets to bother Umbridge by doing this secretly. He knows that this would drive Umbridge mad if she found out. Mm -hmm. So it probably feels good to work under her nose without
2: being detected. Yeah. I know we said that uh, the beginnings of Dumbledore's army were founded, I think, several chapters ago on the Hogwarts Express when Luna came into the fold and Ginny was there yeah. with them, but the pieces have been being set and it's really the next chapter where things come to a head and all the pieces come at like what to name the group and all this stuff really, really come to a fold. And it's, it's really exciting to see Hermione's impassioned plea to Harry be such a big out of the left field. Like I wasn't expecting it. It's certainly a cool turn of events. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, and also, the last chapter, J.K. Rowling kind of name dropped Dumbledore's army during the conversation with Yep, Sirius. Those little breadcrumbs when Harry asks Sirius.
2: And as a kid, who doesn't want to see students overthrowing their teachers and like <laughs> <The bad laughs> running, yeah. running the school? Yeah, yeah. So I think that there's a lot of appeal to the general plot idea of this book. This book, we get so heavy on you know Harry's emotions sometimes, but. I think the general plotline is really satisfying.
0: All right, let's review all the times that Umbridge sucked this chapter. Micah was really excited because there are plenty of moments to work with. First of all, more painful detentions for Harry. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you finally <laughs> used that.
3: Wait, what was that?
0: That was really quick. I need to extend it. Yeah, listen closely.
3: Oh, it's, um- it's, it's her laugh. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah or a duck or an animal? I don't know when you when you hear it like that it sounds like it could be an animal. Refusing to call on a student in class. She ignored Hermione. That's another one. Not having a backup assignment for those who have read it. Embarrassing teachers in front of other students talking badly about other DADA teachers. That's bad.
5: Yeah.
3: Anything else? Hmm. I think that about covers it.
1: What about one for just be a being appointed? hogwarts high inquisitor okay yeah sure
3: (laughs) yeah with no qualifications yeah with no qualifications (laughs) there you go
1: (laughs) all right so that's
0: five so now we're up to 27 times that umbridge sucked sorry umbridge (laughs) might make that clip a little longer
3: (laughs) and we're only in chapter 15
0: in the longest book ever
3: (laughs) yep All right. Well, we do have some threads to connect today. Um, One of the big ones I noticed is in both Chapter 15 of Prisoner of Azkaban and Chapter 15 of Order of the Phoenix, Trelawney is very much undermined openly in front of her class by Hermione and Umbridge. So we'll all remember in Chapter 15 of Prisoner of Azkaban, when Hermione finally gets fed up with divination, is openly mocking Trelawney in front of her peers, and eventually just up and leaves the class when Trelawney tells her that she just doesn't have the talent to be able to pursue the noble art of divination. Um, Something worth noting here is that Hermione notes that she could actually be catching up on something useful, like cheering charms, because she had just missed that class earlier. Um, And then, of course, in this chapter of Order of the Phoenix, Umbridge is undermining Trelawney during her... Class inspection and Charms is actually one of the few classes that Umbridge really can't find anything negative to say about. Um, I thought this is an interesting contrast because here we have Trelawney being undermined by two, you know, very determined female characters. But I would argue that Hermione's undermining, while maybe a little bit immature and not the best approach, I think it comes from a good place ultimately, which is her desire to learn and her desire to be well educated and be good at school. Whereas Umbridge is just trying to suppress anything that might Go against the ministry, so it's a really nice contrast between Mm. books three and five there, Um, and then also the school-related injuries with Hogwarts being a security nightmare. Of course, we all remember Draco Malfoy was injured by Buckbeak during a care of magical creatures class in Prisoner of Azkaban, and between Prisoner of Azkaban and Order of the Phoenix, Draco is all too happy to share um, the trauma that came from that injury. During this chapter in particular, Draco speaks up about this hippogriff injury during the Care of Magical Creatures class that Umbridge is observing. Meanwhile, Harry is being very determined about hiding his hand injury from all of Umbridge's detentions, Mm. which again, really nice contrast because it's Draco overblowing an injury that was truly an accident that you know he brought on himself whereas harry is trying to hide something that's deeply messed up and representative of where the world is at this point because he has a larger uh, goal in mind of not letting umbridge know that she's getting to him and then this this is a nice little breadcrumb but i was so excited when i found it So when reading Prisoner of Azkaban chapter 15, uh, this is the chapter where Trelawney introduces crystal balls to the classroom. And Ron says, I thought we weren't starting crystal balls until next term. And then Harry says, don't complain. This means we finished Palmistry, Harry muttered back. I was getting sick of her flinching every time she looked at my hands. Oh,
0: my gosh.
3: I know. I was like, my.
0: Yeah. I still can't believe JK Rowling plans all this. It's just shocking. I know. There's no way. It's gotta be a coincidence. <laughs> Some of it, at least.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think the implication here is that Trelawney necessarily knew this was going to happen, right. but it's just a nice little breadcrumb that really ties everything together. And I think that it's it's brilliant foreshadowing on her part. How
0: could J.K. Rowling connect all these threads, yet she screws up McGonagall and Crimes of Grindelwald? <laughs> Come on! Did she fire the person who used to help her connect all these threads? Like, something's not adding up here. Time now for MVP of the week. I'm going to give it to McGonagall for handling Umbridge's visit to her class so well. She nailed it, and she didn't lose her temper.
3: I'm going to give it to Hermione for getting the ball rolling on the DA. That's important. Mm
1: -hmm. I'm going to give it to Grisilda Marchbanks for defending Dumbledore in the Daily Prophet. Despite the fact that the Daily Prophet wants to discredit her for being a goblin lover, I am going to... uh, Give her credit this week. Give her the MVP for supporting Dumbledore and Harry through Yeah, Dumbledore. he needed
2: that. And I'm going to give it to Professors Grubbly Plank and Flitwick for passing Umbridge's tests. Let's
0: rename the chapter Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 15. No biscuits for you. I <laughs> went <laughs> Seinfeld <laughs> reference.
3: I went with Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 15. Birth of the Resistance. That
0: sounds like a Star Wars title.
3: I know. I thought that too. (laughs) (laughs) I almost tried to
0: piggyback off of you, but I couldn't think of another one.
1: Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 15, High on Power. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 15,
2: Angelina's Fury. Okay. If you have any feedback
0: about today's discussion, send it on in. MuggleCast at gmail.com. You can write or send a voice memo that way. You can also visit MuggleCast.com and click the contact link at the top of the website. You can also hit us up on social media. We are MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you don't contact us, at least follow us. We would really appreciate it. And you'll be kept up to date on the show. And you'll see lots of show and Harry Potter goodies each and every week.
2: It's time for Quizage. Now, Micah, when you asked this question last week, I was... I did. It was mine. Andrew, when you asked this question (laughs) last week... I was sure
1: that Clearly it Clearly somebody listened to the show last week. <laughs> or, or didn't make it all the way through.
2: I edited the show. I made it all the way through. Go ahead. And Sorry. let me apologize. Past the hour and 10 minute mark, uh, if there's any errors in editing, it's because I just gave up and fell asleep.
1: Clearly. Wow.
2: Andrew, last yes, week, Eric. when you asked this question, I thought it was a trick question. Oh. Because like a really smart, like confuse the listeners no, trick why question I never because do that? well because when Umbridge asks how long McGonagall has been teaching at Hogwarts the reply is 39 years this December it's not December yet so technically the correct answer is 38 years oh oops the only person who answered 38 years specifically is at jabberwock815 on twitter oh my goodness um, did the math but i'm so sorry listeners i didn't mean s- to miss several other people directly quoted 39 years this december oh which, okay which is is equally true so i uh would give that uh correct quizich answer to Pranvi, sarah aka weenzy reese without her spoon tara robbie stillman and stephanie at your rufus on fire i i thought you were being really clever
0: there dude No, I wasn't. I'm sorry. But good catch to many of the
2: listeners. What's
0: this week's question?
2: This week's question is, what uh, does Luna say Cornelius Fudge's army is made up of? Hmm. All right. Losers. Ah! Tweet the answer to MuggleCast on Twitter. And hey, we would really enjoy
0: if you joined our community of listeners today. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast is where you can do it. We have tons of benefits there, including bonus MuggleCasts. We'll be releasing a new installment this week. Also, you're going to want to pledge now. I promise you. Because later this year, everybody who pledges $5 or more is going to be getting one of our best physical gifts ever. Everybody's asking for this gift, and you're going to get it because it's our 15th anniversary. We're still putting the plans together. So we're not ready to announce it yet, but patrons will be the first to know what it is. And patrons will also be the first to see some brand new graphic artwork that we've been working on recently. It's done. It's an idea we came up with when we attended Podcast Movement in Orlando last year. That's a podcasting conference. And we attended that thanks to your support on Patreon. And we learned a lot about the industry. And we're applying those lessons still. So thank you to everybody who supports us. We really appreciate it. Your support goes a long way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That does it for this week's episode of MuggleCast. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrew.
1: I'm Eric. I'm Micah.
3: And I'm Laura. Bye, everybody.
1: See ya. Bye.